Ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey there, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 330. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We truly hope you're doing well. A bit of an announcement off the top here at time of release a new season of the boo crew tv show has just kicked off with a brand new look and feel featuring the extraordinary filming and editing talents of our friend elwood walker episode one finds you hanging out with the legendary robert england talking to you about his role in stranger things 4 the return of the freddy's nightmares series to the awesome Screenbox streaming service then we head off to prop store los angeles with spencer charnas of ice nine kills to check out historic relics from your favorite sci-fi and horror films you can bid on to own at this week's entertainment memorabilia live auction happening today through friday propstore.com to register if you're listening to this at time of release we had such a great time filming this and we hope you have a great time coming along with us as more horror adventures are on the way in this exciting new season which you can see on bloody disgusting tv available on roku vizio smartcast pluto and more and on bloody disgusting's youtube channel right now link is on our socials over at tales from the boo crew on instagram and tales from the boo on twitter let us know what you think on the program this week Join us for an absolutely fascinating conversation with acclaimed researcher, truth seeker, and one of the leading UFO documentarians in the world, Jeremy Corbell. Sit in as he weaponizes your curiosity discussing the footage and facts that have lit up headlines everywhere, acknowledged by the Pentagon as authentic recordings of UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomena. Explore his extraordinarily well-made documentary, Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers, and hear the in-depth story of the man who claims he was tasked to reverse engineer the propulsion systems of extraterrestrial technology for the U.S. government. Hear about the hundreds of craft that swarmed Navy airships off the West Coast in 2019 and what happened. The Pentagon report released that links radiation burns, brain damage, paralysis, and amnesia to UFO sightings and the impact surrounding the first congressional hearing about UFOs in over 50 years. We are absolutely thrilled to bring you episode 330 with Jeremy Corbell. It is now slaying. This story is extraordinary, especially if it's true. And it all started in the desert, just north of Las Vegas. A local scientist who's worked at Groom Lake said to be where top secret weapon systems have been tested over the years. He has asked that his identity be shielded. Exactly what's going on up there? What's going on up there could be the most important event in history. Physical contact and proof from another another system, another planet, another intelligence. What would happen to you if the government learned that you were giving us this information? He just wanted to stay alive. Maybe this has been kept from us for a good reason. Sir, how do we know you are who you say you are? My name's Bob Lazar. I'm known for working at a classified base and reverse-engineered alien spacecraft. And it went all over the world. He put Area 51 on the map. Can we 
ever be made whole if we're not believed? We can't verify what was going on in his background. I have no motivation to lie. The science and the technology can change us. We've always looked to the skies for answers instead of looking into ourselves. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is an evocative documentary filmmaker, unbridled researcher, and a passionate truth seeker. A gifted visual artist who in 2009 assembled a historic 350-piece art exhibition celebrating the life of Sharon Tate in honor of the 40th anniversary of her passing. He unveiled a gallery show of pieces inspired by the film work of Guy Mache, among other spectacular achievements and acclaimed installations. He's a trained master of jiu-jitsu, known for his seminars and philosophies around the world, and is a respected teacher teacher and author of the discipline. That work led him to be a fight consultant on several Hollywood action films and video games. With 24-time Emmy-winning investigative journalist George Knapp as his friend and mentor, he has become the world's leading megaphone and thought provoker of extraordinary beliefs and the pursuit of the truths therein, namely the phenomena of UFOs, now called UAPs. Because of his detailed and careful curation of all the information out there, most of which is now coming courtesy of the U.S. government, who over the past few years have finally, after decades, confirmed that these investigative programs and scores of unexplainable video evidence captured with their very own cameras exist, he has been the person called on by the Joe Rogan podcast, the BBC, NPR, Fox News, Larry King, and countless others of the biggest media outlets in the world. He has produced several incredible award-winning short films and feature documentaries on the subject, including Hunt for the Skinwalker and Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers, and he is here now to weaponize your curiosity. We are honored to welcome Jeremy Corbell. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Thanks, guys. Wow. You make my life sound more interesting than it is. Are you kidding me? There's no one's life as oh, interesting as right. yours, my man. Wow. And, th- and you know what? Thank yeah. you for making ours more interesting as well. I know you kind of lead yeah. off each of your documentaries, kind of poetically phrasing that and framing that experience for us. And that's what a lot of your films really do. They bring us into this world and to the awareness of truths, really. Thanks, man. Yeah, look, um, I-, I am so excited by this topic. These topics, it- it's like I didn't have an avenue or a-, a way to kind of get that out. You can do investigations your whole life, but it, it- always feels good to share what you're learning, you know, the ups and the downs, you know, the easy things, the hard things. So um, I appreciate that, that people watch the, the films and that they feel, I want people to feel part of it. Like not everybody can go and like research this stuff, but I feel so lucky, man, that, that I've had a great mentor and that I've been able to earn people's trust. The only way to earn people's trust is to be trustworthy, first of all. So I have been, you know, it's the things you don't say that allow you to say the things you do. So, you know, thanks for watching the films, man. Hey man. And I, I gotta say the poetic narration that is written kind of, that goes along with the journey that you take us in these documentaries. It feels like you spend a lot of time being very careful about what you say. Can you let us in just a little bit on that process? Wow, man. I already love this interview. We're talking about stuff that I never talk about with other people. Can I say the word shit? <laughs> yeah, of Hell course. Yeah. Yes. This is fun shit right here. Oh my God. Okay. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's really cool, man. I appreciate that. You appreciate that. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but, um, I, for me, it's like, 
I'm living in this twilight zone, except most of it happens to be real when I look into it. And it's so cool. So, you know, I like to use these kind of like dreamscapes, I call them in my films, where you're kind of got this narrative voice above you just being like whispering in your ear. Hey, man, you know, don't forget this stuff is is important. It's if UFOs are real, right, then that represents something huge to the human experience. So those kind of like um, dreamscapes that I put in, like, you know, maybe you look at Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. I mean, I got Mickey work. Now, people hated this or they loved it. And that's what was so cool is that Mickey's polarizing. But when you got a guy like Mickey Rourke and you record his voice and I listen to every tone, he has like six voices in one, man. He's got these grunts and these sounds. Yeah. It's like a Tibetan throat singer. It's yeah, crazy. It really is. And, and that's a crazy story how I got Mickey to do that. I mean, this is an Oscar nominated you know, actor who you know didn't have to do a UFO film. But uh, having him, because he's so raw and then saying these things that are like kind of poetic, it was a really cool um, moment to record with him in the studio. And, you know, that almost didn't happen. Everybody was going to have to listen to my voice in that film as the narrator because, you know, I couldn't afford a great narrator, let's say. And then getting somebody like Mickey, I mean, it's hard to do, but... He owed me one because he tried to stab me with a stiletto knife the first day I met him. Are you serious? <laughs> you you got to tell what? us that story. Come on, man. Yeah. Tell us that story. <laughs> so I'm in the, the Shamrock Social Club. It's the nexus of all high strangeness on the Sunset Strip. It's a tattoo shop where the shaman is Mark Mahoney. He's like this very known tattoo artist. And he's a good friend of mine. And I filmed with him for years, you know. And he, uh, I put out some clips uh, of my filming with him, but he has people walk through that door every day. And it's, it's everybody you can imagine, every kind of person from every kind of you know, place in the world that come through. One day Mickey comes through because they're friends, you know, and he's all riled up and he was messing with me. I was messing back with him. And he had, I have it on film. He got this stiletto and I was like trying to jam me in the ribs with it, you know? Oh and like, he was, he was playing, but you know, you don't play with Mickey. Rourke. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can imagine that guy would just snap on a dime. Right. Well, yeah, right. he's great, man. He's like a, a gentle giant. But, uh, you know, what, what happened is he told me about his UFO sighting. He had a UFO sighting, which, you know, it's so funny. So many people do and, and they keep it kind of quiet. But he let me film that. I, I haven't put that out yet. But so we, we kind of talked about that. And then he came in a year or two later when I was filming at the tattoo shop and we talked again. So then it was like, I need a narrator and I actually needed it quick. Right. And I'm not like a known documentary filmmaker at this point, kind of, but not really. And so uh, Mickey, I figured, well, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to put an offer in to his his manager. And uh, I didn't hear back. And I thought, oh, man, he, he, he has no love for the UFO topic. Forget it. He's not going to do it. So I was down to the wire. I didn't have anybody to do narration. And, oh, man, I'm sick of hearing my own voice. I, I would love to get somebody else to, to, to say this stuff, to play that role in the movie. And, and I, I thought it was done, man. I had like seven days to deliver the final copy of the film. And I go to the tattoo shop. And walks in Mickey and I go, Mickey, what, man? You don't like me. You don't like my, my, you don't like my haircut. You don't like my beard. Well, you don't like UFOs. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, man, I gave you a legitimate offer to narrate the film. You didn't even say no. And he goes, what? He goes, what are you talking about? The next day, Mickey Rourke was in a studio 
recorded it with me and and wow. bam i delivered that film six days later i couldn't believe it it was amazing of him oh that wow. is such a cool story and the way wow. that you played like as you were saying paying attention to what was on that tape, what you did capture with him and being able to play with that in our heads and in the sonic space of your film, panning things left and right, using outtakes and whispers and things like that really was transportive. Oh man. I'm so glad you appreciate it. I really had fun making it. Oh, so, so cool. So I guess right off the top, I mean, we can't ignore this before we go any further. Just yesterday, an article appeared in the New York times of huge significance what can you tell us about that right right so this is just like um it's kind of like a benchmark for the public because the the reason why publics are a buzz in the media is because there has been a push within the public domain hey you know we want to know more about this so the government comes out you know 2017 they actually the new york times got it wrong the the ufo the true name of the ufo program wasn't uh, atip it was osap advanced aerospace weapon systems application program atip was this auxiliary program that kind of picked up after so new york times got it wrong but look people will find out more about that the 22 million went to osap whatever here's the point as everybody has been using their voice, like UFO Twitter is like a big thing. Like there's a lot of pressure because everybody's reachable, you know, Congress, senators, whatever. We're like, look, we want to know. We want to know what's going on with UFOs. And then boom, all of a sudden we got the preliminary report, which was um, by the director, what was it? It was the director of defense intelligence. I don't, I don't, ah, man, my brain, the director of national intelligence. It was from that office. And man, it was this report they talked about studying 144 cases and only one was explained. So they're like Congress and Senate was like, well, look, people want to know more about this. We need briefings. Let's get it going. We haven't had congressional open congressional briefings on UFOs for over 50 years. This is we're talking Project Blue Book time in 1969 when it closed. And they said, we're not studying UFOs anymore, which we now know was a lie. So now we have the first in over 50 years open congressional on the record briefings about ufos from top of the two of the top military brass who are in a position to know that's what's important so the two people testifying is the undersecretary of defense and intelligence and security this guy ron moultrie and then scott bray who's the deputy director of national intelligence so they're going to go to congress it's an open hearing they're going to talk about ufos they're going to talk about the threat assessment of these machines that fly with impunity within our restricted airspace that can outperform, outmaneuver, and outpace anything that we have in our military arsenal or any other military arsenal on planet Earth from any technologically advanced advanced nation that we know of. I mean, this is big news. So what I'm seeing, I guess that was the long way of saying, what happened yesterday was that the New York Times printed an article saying we're having these congressional briefings. And it's kind of like this benchmark for UFO transparency. Okay, check. We've been asking for that. So so what's next? We're opening Pandora's box here. People are like, oh, the government's not going to be honest. Oh, this or that. Oh, guess what? The public, it's our job to push forward if we want to learn about it. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like an exciting congressional briefing (laughs) because because it's going to start a chain reaction, a 
just a, a cavalcade of new experiences for people to really push for UFO transparency, which I think is important. Oh, yeah, definitely. Why do you think that news yeah. like this isn't on the cover of Yahoo right now or every single media outlet? Why do you think that whenever discoveries and, and revelations are like this are revealed that it seems to kind of trickle out in ways almost like, oh, this is happening? Well, we, you know, we all love watching people fart on the stand in like um, Johnny Depp's trial and all. But like, you know, what captures us? Right. <clears throat> That's the thing. So I would argue against what you just said in that. Look, it was on the front cover of The New York Times in 2017. CNN just posted up about this. BBC, uh, New York Times. I mean, every, everybody's talking about it. it. It's there. But maybe it's so existential because it look. If UFOs are real, who's operating them? Where are they coming from? Who made the craft? Is there a factory? What's the intent? So, so it's kind of like this big thing. It's not as simple as other things, but I think we're seeing a more, because part of this briefing, or part of this uh, congressional thing is, is in their own words, to, to destigmatize the, the UFO phenomenon for better reporting. So <clears throat> if that's the intent, I think we're going to be seeing more mainstream journalists and journalism about this mystery. How can you not be interested? I, I don't know where UFOs are from. I don't know if they're aliens as we know them, right? I mean, there are some things about it that make it really interesting, like the way the craft are described, that they seem to be interstellar, our, our weapon systems, our optics, they're able to track these things coming in from above 80,000 feet. So they're coming in from high altitude. So where are they coming in from? So I don't know, man, I think there's an education process. Let me, let me give you one more example on this rant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So when, when George Knapp and I heard that the, and we, we kind of have good sources that the mechanisms of government were going about like, Hey, let's get some briefings going. There have been, closed back, you know, kind of backdoor briefings within Congress, private briefings, you know, what can we do to really inspire people to ask questions? And now I obtain footage, probably that I shouldn't, every day. People reach out to me. So, so there's a mechanism that's broken in the reporting process. So if you're in the Navy or you're flying one of our predator drones and you capture a UFO, there's a lack of understanding of how to report that, where to report that and where it goes. So people tend to come to me and they have, as, as I have proven through my work, that they deliver to me and I obtain footage and I can release it legally depending on the type of footage. So we did that. George Knapp and I did that about one year ago, almost to the day. I mean, within this month, we released a bunch of military filmed UFO footage from 2019 off the coast of California that represented over a hundred UFOs swarming our Navy warships. And, and when we did that, we did that at that time because we knew it would push public pressure. It would push people's curiosity and it sure did. And what was unique about this footage I released FLIR footage, which is forward-looking infrared. It's thermal. Then from the same event series, I released IR, infrared footage. And then I released radar data from one of our warships, an actual visual of the screen of the radar data. 
of the same event, then footage from the deck of one of the ships. So clearly I got sources where I can get this stuff. What that was in totality was corroborative visual evidence of a modern day UFO encounter that then the Pentagon officially confirmed that it was military film and that what I had released was actual unknown UFOs. You know, we don't know what they are, but unknown UFOs. So like that kind of thing, that takes a, just a, a needle and goes, and goes right into the balloon, man, because now people are interested. They're excited. They got some knowledge. But the thing is, we have to grow that knowledge base. When I talk to reporters on my TV shows, I mean, they're talking like it's 1969. They're like, oh, do you believe in UFOs? UFOs are not a matter of belief. It's either true or it's not true. And if you don't trust your government, although they told you it's true, the evidence is overwhelming that there is a technology that we didn't create. So that's that's kind of the exciting part about this is is how do we move the ball forward? And it's it happens to be a lot of it's people. I don't want to say the word leaking, but getting me information and putting it out. This is a small part of the puzzle, but it's a big part and or small part of the puzzle. But it's an important part. Right. So I don't know, man. I'm very optimistic about uh, what's about to come out. Sure, (laughs) sure. And about that video evidence, Leo, you had a question. Going back there, uh, Jeremy, just a few years ago, back, I think, when it was Clinton uh, Trump, when she was running, they were running for presidency, and there was a big uh, WikiLeaks dump um, where all the Podesta emails came out and all that. And then randomly, Tom DeLong from Blink-182, his name pops up in that. So all of a sudden, this guy who's speaking about government officials, disclosure, UFO evidence and all that, he becomes immediately credible because, you know, his name pops up in government official documents you know yeah, he, was, he so, was emailing with with some top brass trying to make a way in to have the conversation and i'll tell you um george knapp is the one that gave him the contacts and and coached him on kind of like this is how you should approach it tom T- tom's a friend i know tom uh, he's done excellent work in the field uh he's doing the you know the best he can but yeah i remember that wikileaks george knapp's email was was <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So in that when that when that went down, what is the genesis of these three video releases and and like what's the timeline with the video releases and the New York Times article, the, the gimbal yeah. video, the go fast video and the TikTok? Were these uh how did these come into your possession and then released? I love it. Everybody says the TikTok video. It's the TikTok, but it's so funny. It just rolls <laughs> off the top. Right. So, so for your audience right. that's listening, maybe not watching, and then also for people that don't know about this, what you're talking about are three videos that have been confirmed by the Pentagon as, as being UFOs, being unknown. So that process, it's a little bit curvy how that all happened, but there's three you're talking about. So one is the most famous now UFO case of all time. And that is the Tic Tac UFO case from 2004 off the coast of California. There's a man named Commander David Fravor who engaged and chased this UFO. There's a man named Commander Chad Underwood who filmed that same UFO. And then you're also talking about the gimbal craft, which looks like this, a saucer that mechanically rotates against the wind. Uh, And that's it. And all of this is in black and white because there are these FLIR forward looking infrared, which is thermal, 
war pods, basically. They're targeting systems that are on our F-18s and our fighter planes. So, and, and then you've got the GoFast, which is another object that is traversing and you have C in the background. But so when people look at it, it's black and white. And they have to understand what this is, multi-million dollar defense platform mounted underneath these aircraft that use the, that pod to track, target, and annihilate targets if need be. So those three videos kind of, they came out. And when, when those videos came out, then all of the assessment of them started going on. I will tell you this, the New York Times article which was in 2017 that really kind of opened people's eyes to this, you know, front page of New York Times, baby. The article was primarily great. It was primarily accurate besides the name of the UFO program. Uh, but that, that's okay. It was, a, it was a, a, a landmark publication about the UFO topic. I will also say that George Knapp and I broke the Tic Tac UFO case before the New York Times. People need to understand why and how and why that's important. Uh, you know, we're not the New York Times, but how you get shit done is through in, independent individual investigators that are hungry, and I'm hungry. So I was talking with Commander Fravor for years prior to this. George and I were able to break it on Coast to Coast AM. Again, we did it twice, talked about the case before the New York Times article. But the point is, I had been developing sources. Imagine me calling a fighter pilot and being like, hey, you don't know me. I make UFO films. Want to talk? I mean, it's not always easy, you know? <laughs> but, like, but like over time, people have learned to trust me. So I was able to bring, like, for example, Commander Underwood Ford for the first time on video, released a, a big video of him just telling it like it was. Mm -hmm. What did he film? What was it like? I had Commander Fravor, same thing. First audio, first video. Ever he did came, did it with me. I'm really grateful for that, that they trusted me. You hear it directly from their mouths. What happened on that day? So, so that's, I hope I answered your question, but I wanted to give you background. That's what those three videos are. The New York Times in 2017, when they published their article, it really helped put fire underneath everybody about, hey, what's going on here? So, yeah. Right. And you can watch those videos at extraordinarybeliefs.com. Yeah, there's a, an insane amount of amazing interviews and films that you could check out there. But anyway. OK, can we talk about Bob Lazar and can we talk about or let's tell our listeners who may not be familiar with this subject just what he discovered? I, I mean, the government has. What is it? Nine ships. I remember being and obsessed with Bob Lazar when I was a kid, when I when the, the his initial what was it? He came on as Dennis, didn't he? When he first came on in like the 80s. I remember yeah. seeing this as a kid and have been fascinated with his story ever since. And it's only getting more credible with time, which blows me away because hoaxes don't get more credible with time. Yeah. His is being proven. Yeah, I mean, in ways people don't even understand, but yes. There are nine ships and that he went into one of the ships and there's no right angles and everything is foreign and they're really small, which I didn't expect. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about what he does for the listeners that don't know who he is and what he discovered? Yeah, so I'm real excited. You know, this is a, a passionate um, topic for me because... Like you, when you said you heard this back in 1989 is when this all came out. I, I was just a kid, man. I was 13 years old. So kind of like you guys, like I, I heard this guy saying, hey, my name is Bob Lazar. 
I worked at a sub base of Area 51, like in the Area 51 plot called Site 4. And he claimed that he was tasked with reverse engineering alien spacecraft for the United States military. But he didn't just say it like that. He described the craft, the propulsion system, how this all went down. And the one thing he said was, look, everything is reactionary propulsion. That, that's how I know it, right? Personally, um, from rockets to roller skates, you push something out the back, you go forward. That's how propulsion works. But what Bob Lazar described, and I'm 13, I'm listening, and you know, he goes, it, it, these craft are propelled, for lack of a better term, with gravity wave amplification. They literally distort time space. He says, imagine putting a bowling ball on your mattress and pushing your fist down on that mattress and the bowling ball falls into that divot you've created with your fist. He goes, it's similar to that. It's not how you think like you got rocket fuel, you're shooting at the back. Just that one thing he said, that was the moment I like to say my curiosity was weaponized, mm -hmm. meaning I had to find out more. I didn't want to be a passive consumer anymore. I wanted to like find out. But how do you find out with Bob Lazar? I mean, this guy is notoriously doesn't want the spotlight, doesn't want attention, doesn't want to do videos, doesn't want to do movies. You know, it's like, how do I get to this guy? You know, so fast forward from when I was 13, right, to like, however, well, 30 something years old, you know, I was able finally to kind of meet him and kind of state my case that I'd like to untwist the, the, the bullshit that's been said about him and just, just hear what he has to say. Whether you believe Bob Lazar or not, that, that's kind of irrelevant to him. He was just telling you. Uh, but the idea is this. There's a man named Bob Lazar. He came forward in 1989 to George Knapp, actually. And he said that he worked on alien spacecraft for the United States military, that there were nine craft that he was able to work on the components of one, the propulsion system. It was a gravity amplification system. And that he was allowed one time to walk into, to step into the craft because they thought it might be part important to see how the gravity wave amplifiers were harnessed onto the craft. And he describes that in detail. And up until that point, he thought, uh, this is all BS. Yeah, this is some U.S. technology. He actually saw they put a little sticker of an American flag on the side of one of the saucers the first time he saw it. And he thought, oh, there you go. Everybody thinks it's UFOs. It's ours. You know, the second he stepped into that saucer, what he says that it was like, he said it was ominous. He goes, the, the seats looked like they were made for children. I mean, it was just no right ankles. It was no right angles. It was monochromatic. It, there were so many details to it that, that I could go through, but just the shock, I think for him, if we believe what Bob Lazar says, the shock for him was seeing it for himself. This was not made for us. This was not made by us. And that was the moment it dawned on him. Now he was read in with a bunch of briefings that said some crazy shit. I mean, stuff that was really out there, like how, where the craft came from, what it was powered by is element 115. I mean, just all this stuff that like Bob didn't know if any of this was true. He was shown autopsy images uh, of an alien gray. And, and, and in his mind, because he's a scientist, he's like, oh, they're messing with me or this is a disinformation. I, I don't know. He didn't know what to think of it. But over the years, 
it's turning out step by step that it most likely everything he saw and was told was accurate, was correct, and was true. I mean, look, if anybody's upset about like not more, knowing more, it's probably Bob Lazar. This guy actually got to get in one of these things and look around. So that's who Bob Lazar is. Now, I made a movie on Bob called Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers. And that's everywhere. You can watch that. Uh, and it really shows you who Bob is. Bob is an honest person right? That's the thing. He has integrity. I don't think he'd spend the energy making up a, a story like this. Also, he could have made up a better story. Yeah. Like he, he always reminds me of that. He goes, look, man, there's holes in this story. He goes, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just telling you what happened. Because if I was making one up, I'd have every hole filled. And the closer you get to Bob and the people around him, the more it dawns on you that he is an honest person and he's telling it to you like it is. And I was even able to track down the guy that did his security clearance for Era 51. So, I mean, look, the dude worked there. Wow. And officially, right? He's not on these records, but then you go back and you find him in the phone directory for those places. You find, you know, you find him in newspaper articles of the time that corroborate him being. I talked to the guy that wrote the the news article in the Los Alamos monitor. Yeah. And I talked with him about Bob and what it was like. And was he a physicist there and all that stuff. And and look, there's a lot you can attack Bob on, on a, on a character level. That's what people do. You know, he was kind of a wild guy, like machine guns and rockets and, you know, was, uh, you know, set up security cameras at a brothel. I mean, you could go after Bob, you know, sure, sure. but but that doesn't diminish what he told us. Right. And that's what people try to do. They try to character assassinate him. People are like religiously fervorish over trying to harm Bob's credibility. Go ahead and do your best, man. That's why. And the, kick, the, truth. the kicker is that element 115 that he claimed, I guess, was the fuel source that didn't exist. And now recently it's been added to the periodic table. Let's nu- nuance that. Yeah. So, correct. So, element 115 had never been synthesized in a particle accelerator by humanity when Bob Lazar was talking about it. We always assumed from a, from a standpoint of physics and science, material science, that element 115 is a super heavy element, and it would probably exist like the other ones. And one day, maybe we'll fabricate a few atoms of this shit. You know, that, that's the idea. But Bob always claimed it had unique properties and that there's a a stabilized version of it. Like, for example, I think there's like 37 different isotopic combinations to make gold, right? But like the gold in your ring, there's only one that's stable, that doesn't deteriorate almost immediately. So people are like, well, element 115 didn't exist. Well, it, it, it probably did in nature, but we had never synthesized it. Now we yeah. have synthesized atoms of it. Maybe Bob's just one of these really lucky guys that chose the right number. I don't know, but it wasn't stable. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there's a few forms they've synthesized now that they are few atoms. But the thing is, one day we will find that stable version of the element 115. Now, can we manufacture in a particle accelerator enough of it to research it? I don't know. That's a tall order. We're talking about atoms of this thing. But if we do, and one day we probably will, uh, we might find that the characteristics of this element have what Bob Lazar described, which is a very specific thing. Look, man, that's what he said. Element 115 powers the craft and it's gravity wave amplification that flies them. And that's what our military now believes that every, all these craft that we call UFOs are gravity propelled. So they make their own gravity. Is that what you're saying? 
for those well, of us they, that aren't science smart, I'm just trying yeah. to keep up, guys. God, I had a crash course in this for the last 20 years. Yeah, so I can right. tell you a little bit about it. But look, um, we, we can't, from what we understand, we can't make gravity, right? right. Uh, I guess it's kind of like matter. It's like, you know, we can't make it, but we can harness it. That's the, the hope or the goal, right? So we can distort it right now. We can do that with with uh, with mass with 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 matter, because it's intimately linked to to matter. So gravity as a force, which we really don't understand at at all, in my opinion, from a scientific standpoint. What Bob said was that the element one fifteen as a piece of matter, that the range that the gravitational field or the strong nuclear force, kind of like that. That it, that it extended just past the matter itself. And, and what the craft would do is harness or kind of reap that matter and then amplify it and direct it, kind of like you would a, a sound wave or something like that. So gravity is a wave. And now we do know that too. I mean, it's not the whole graviton theory kind of is out the window now. So gravity does act like a wave. So if that is the case, then what Bob was describing is, is perfectly in sync with what we know now, that you could reap or harvest this gravitational field, this wave, amplify it and direct it. And that's how these craft, they create gravity envelopes or gravity wells, and they fall into that space. That's why a classic saucer, you know, sometimes it looks like it's, from what I hear, they're kind of like almost like floating on water. And it's because it's using the, the gravitational force of the earth to kind of like sit there. And then at high speed, a lot of these craft will turn belly first and then boom, just disappear. And Bob described that back in 1989 and reports also confirm that now is that these amplifiers will, will point to one point in space and time. And then it's like instantly there. You know how people say UFOs, if you, are lucky enough to see one, how they accelerate without uh, inertial effect, without like exploding, they go faster than, you know, a speeding bullet, faster yeah. than Superman, right? So that, that's the idea of how the element 115 and the gravity amplification works. After watching your uh, documentary with him, you know, it was, was there ever a conversation with him? Was he ever specifically warned about working with exotic materials at Area 51? Is it now known that some of these employees may have become severely ill or died from simply trying to reverse engineer these crafts? The Boo Crew will be right back. your uh, documentary with him you know it was was there ever a conversation with him was he ever specifically warned about working with exotic materials at area 51 is it now known that some of these employees may have become severely ill or died from simply trying to reverse engineer these crafts he was terrified from day one 
about working on these materials and not having a lot of information about them. I mean, they used basically like tongs to pick up the element 115 and move it over to the reactor. Definitely something that he was worried about is, is there a, a, an effect that can occur from being in close proximity to these UFOs or to the propulsion system? And in fact, that's what the government reports have now revealed in those 30 eight papers that were released is that there are medical issues that occur with when people come into close proximity with a UFO. It's, it doesn't look like it's a hostile action. It just looks like that our biology getting close to these reactors that you can get like cellular damage, you can get radiation, cancers. Now, Bob hasn't thankfully had any of that, that issue, but he told me he was terrified every day when he went in I mean, he was excited, but it was scary because when he went into the position, it was because some of the individuals who were working on this thing died and they died because they were trying to open a reactor, I, I think, while they were trying to power it, something like that. So that's at least what he was told. So, yeah, he was like terrified. Uh, he makes this great comparison. I think he makes this comparison in my film or he does it in one of the bonus yeah, materials. I know this one. Yeah. yeah. yeah he says, look, man. He goes, imagine if you are in the 1800s and somebody, you know, hands you over this nuclear reactor, a core, and, and somebody opens it and everybody in the room dies. And then the people that go in to investigate it, all of them die. I mean, you're going to think it's like a demon, you know, like, it, like it's evil, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but really it's just a technology that they, they wouldn't know how to handle at that time. It would look and appear like magic. And he goes, I was... He says, I was worried about that. What, what are the unknowns here? But no, he's had no negative health effect. You just mentioned that the document that was recently released, uh, the Defense Intelligence Reference document, and uh, one note of interest, the one file that really, you know, people have been talking about, the anomalous acute and subacute field effects on human biological tissues. And this is where humans have been found to have been injured from exposures to anomalous vehicles, especially airborne, and when in relatively close proximity so this close proximity tells me that these have been might have landed maybe people were close to them 100 percent. so so there's a lot that's not said in these reference documents i have been fortunate enough to see more of the documents that are not public at this time george knapp has has admitted to seeing a lot of them here's the deal there's 38 documents that came out and these were just unclassified, but not released to the public from the government UFO study. Some of them were about the, one of them was about the biological effects. Other ones were about exactly what we're talking about, gravity propulsion, that kind of thing. The, the duty of this UFO investigation by the United States military was to study the 50 years looking out, like what technologies are we observing with UFOs? What does this mean? Where are we going to be with our adversaries? What you're reading is a very known and, and I'll tell you, well studied, well studied uh, medically by our, by our CIA and also by uh, within this, this government program of what happens to the human body when people get real close to UFOs. Now, they're talking about cases that are primarily military. So if a pilot gets real close or he gets oftentimes there's like a beam of light that can shine, there, there have been negative effects. I can't get around that. There, there have been. It is uncommon, though. It is uncommon with the UFO 
close encounter experience to have neg real negative health effects, but I guess not uncommon enough where it is significant. So yeah, it's from crash retrievals, which we have done. We have machinery. We not just not just alloys and metamaterials. We have full craft. And, and don't trust me. You should you should you should hear other people who have said it. Like in the New York Times, I think Dr. Eric Davis was quoted talking about um, reverse engineering programs, these exploitation programs. So yeah, to answer your question, there have been uh, I'll say downed craft because I don't know what crash means for these things. Do they come? from wherever they come from and crash. Maybe they're gifts, right. but whatever. We have, <laughs> right. we have crash. Right. That's it's like me, it's like me in the Stanley Kubrick movie, like, you know, back during the time when it was like primal man and like just throwing an iPhone out and be like, check it out. It totally crashed, check it out. You know, one of the things that stood out from that is, you know, describing the effects on humans, the radiation burns, electromagnetic radiation burns, a fever, pain, headaches, radiation illness, uh, time loss cancers external control of vehicle and the kicker one unaccounted for pregnancy oh yeah let me explain that people kind of got that wrong so not that that's wrong i mean that's a crazy you know look unaccounted for pregnancy is not a joke so here's the deal um what what this government ufo program called osap advanced aerospace weapon system application program what it did was it it tasked people within the civilian world often uh professors and that kind of thing to to work on these creating these 38 they call them dirds defense intelligence reference documents they were never intended to be like classified because they were never telling them exactly what they were studying but what they not that it was a ufo program they didn't tell them that but what they did was they said what is the cumulative public knowledge right now on ufo encounters so you'll see there's references there of like australian penthouse tabloid magazines wikipedia so, but but remember this is what people get wrong what they were trying to do is say right now with our current knowledge if we're going to take our government files and we're going to compare them to everything that is known in the world right now we have to source everything so they sourced tons of crazy things and just wild things and like the public knowledge and even wikipedia to get a baseline for what people report when it comes to ufos then they took their information and compared and contrasted it so it's not like the government found an unaccounted for pregnancy in, in that document that's not what they're saying they're saying that that's the database of information that is in public realm and this now is what we're going to compare it to make sense yeah yeah, totally. Mm. What do you think is the end game here? What do you think will happen as more and more of this information gets out there and we find what I believe is and what you believe is the inevitable, really? I mean, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have on the human experience, reality, government? Do you think it's going to just be madness? Do you think it's going to be chaotic? What, what do you think? I think it'll be sanity in an ocean of madness. We're already mad. You yeah. know, human beings are like, you know, primal beings, just like, you know, you know, fighting each other with our iPhones. I mean, it's insane. You're like, Oh, I hate you on Twitter. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't know. Man. So, so I mean, to make a joke about it, I mean, really, I think the end goal is getting an alien to sit down with Joe Rogan for four hours and have a conversation. And hopefully it's not telepathic and they speak with their mouths. Cause I'd like to hear what they're saying. Um, I mean, look, man, the, the ultimate goal 
of all of this, I mean, I'll speak for myself, is just to learn more about the nature of our reality, the universe that we sit in, uh, what we're a part of. Maybe we're part of something bigger. Maybe it's stranger than UFOs. Maybe there's some sort of consciousness uh, development thing going. Maybe there's a genetic development thing going. Maybe there's a te- maybe this is a techno terrestrial thing where you know we are seated here on Earth so that we can develop technologically to the point where we can be part of the alien internet. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I love these ideas. Yeah. They're so cool. I, I don't know, but but w- what I do look forward to is that every day. The totality of human awareness and knowledge grows a tiny bit every single day. We're learning more. And I I want to be part of that while I'm alive. I want to learn it and I want to contribute to that database. And and if that's what we, we can do with this UFO thing together is learn more about humanity, the origins of humanity, the what we're connected to in this universe, how vast it is. What other civilizations have mastered travel? We, we know there's other civilizations. There's billions and billions and trillions of stars and Earth-like planets and habitable zones and times where planets could develop without being destroyed, at least by external forces like asteroids. Sometimes people destroy themselves. I get that. But I, I think that there is such a potentiality uh, for other species, intelligent, sentient beings to learn how to traverse uh, space and time that, man, wouldn't it be cool to get closer to the truth within our lifetimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think we will? Do you think we'll, we'll hit that next level in the next, I don't know, 10, yeah. 20 years? Yeah, yeah, we already have, man. We already have made leaps and bounds oh, yeah. and strides in the last 50 years. Think about technology. It's been 150 years since we've been really dealing with technology. You know, I mean, before that, man, it was just the same forever, you know? So we've made these huge, we're, we're so greedy. We've made these huge leaps and bounds, right? And we haven't yet killed ourselves, which was really easy with technology, <laughs> right? And we haven't yet done that. So I got hope for humanity. You know, I, I do have hope that uh, we are inherently good. We're inherently curious and we're inherently trying not to kill ourselves. Right, right. <laughs> good point. The, the technology <laughs> yeah. that they have for those ships, like how far are we off from getting to that technology? Hundreds of thousands of years. Well, you know, look, I, I would say they are hundreds of thousands of years at more advanced However, I don't know where that bell curve is going to stop with the advancement of our technology. You know, I know that the shrinking of technology has a, a kind of cap limit to it of, of how refined, you know, we have to deal with, with the atom, right? So the, the refinement of the miniaturizing of technology has, has a cap that we can pretty much see, uh, you know, how small can you make a superconductor? However, the advancement of technology. I don't know where that bell curve is. Is this conversation in 150 years going to be in some sort of matrix that we've all tapped our brains into and we can travel amongst the stars because we have no physical body and just distort time space at will and everybody can do it. And you can go to Costco and get a card to do it. I don't know. I mean, so what is that level of change? How advanced are these craft? we might have a breakthrough in the next 10 years that make all of this shit possible. I mean, I'd like to believe that. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest example I can give you 
we have just started creating things called meta materials, which are actual materials like alloys that do not exist in nature. A really simple aspect of this or example of this is graphene. Most people have heard of, well, graphite in a pencil. Graphene is a really interesting meta material. What they did was like they took scotch tape and like put it over some. Yeah. And like, basically you get these hexagonal patterns where there's perfect atomic layering. Well, that is a superconductor. If you've ever held a piece in your hand, I've got two of them. And uh, you take one, you push it into an ice cube. And as a superconductor, your fingers go from warm and the, and the thing goes into the ice like a hot knife through butter. And then it instantly cools, shoots that coolness in your fingers. You feel the cold and the better atomically layered the atoms are like if it's three degrees off orientation of perfection compared to seven degrees, you have a better superconductor. So that's a really simple way to look at metamaterials. Now we're creating these metamaterials. We're doing it now. And we're realizing that they have these unique properties of physics that we didn't expect. And we saw that with graphene and, and, and now we're moving forward. So our material science, as we get better and better at fabricating on the atomic level, one day we'll be able to perfectly atomically print atoms. I mean, that's that's gonna we, we will be able to do that one day. And if we could do it in zero gravity with perfect atomic orientation, which is by the way, what some of these materials appear, how they appear to have been made that are associated with UFOs, these alloys, these metals, somebody made them. It would just be cost prohibitive for us to do it, and our technology hasn't caught up. But one day. We should be able to. So I do have hope that we're going to make leaps and bounds because just look at the last 150 years. Fascinating, dude. It's fascinating. Dude, I can yeah. listen to you speak forever. So as we, t- as we come to our, uh, our time's end here, Leo, you had one more question we're going to go out on. Yeah, I got a couple, actually. Uh, the yeah. first one, uh, going back to these military encounters like the USS Nimitz and the Omaha and all that, is there more to the story that we're not hearing yet? I mean, seeing as they're a threat, these things, these UAPs just hovering above these ships are a threat by just simply encroaching on the naval ship airspace. Is it known if we actually fired upon them? Leo, Leo, Leo. So you're the hidden UFO nerd in here like me. Okay, you know too much, Leo. You ask too many good questions. Okay, check it out, man. Uh, I will personally tell you that, yes, I know that we did take an attempt at what they call kinetic action during that event. It was very small scale weapons action. Okay. But the reason we didn't do big scale weapons action is because there's this triangle of of defense that needs to be met for what they call kinetic action on these military uh, warships. That's intent. That's capability. And that's opportunity. And, and these are unknowns. We don't know. The other thing I want to I touch on is that there are other systems that picked up these objects that, that are classified optic systems. So there's a lot we're not being told yet. Uh, I don't want to get into too much of the details, but people argue with me about, well, how do you know that they were pyramid shaped? Well, kind of like I got the videos and there was probably associated classified information that I probably shouldn't have been, but might not have been, but probably was privy to. Um, There was a lot of information surrounding these events. I would say that when you say threat, I agree with you because that is the perspective of the military. I'm not saying UFOs are out to get us like, you know, 
they've been with us since the beginning of recorded human history. We seem fine, right? But from a military perspective, when an advanced foreign technology can turn on or off our nuclear weapons, which has been done regarding UFOs documented throughout our history of nuclear weaponry, then that is a security, a national security issue. Is it a threat? Well, we don't know. We just don't know. And so that's the thing. You know, there's not overt hostility that we're seeing, but there's observation, there is tampering, and then there are displays of power. And that's what you're seeing with these uh, performances of these over 100 UFOs swarming our Navy warships in 2019 off the West Coast. So when I say this is a national security issue, I, I usually say the word issue rather than threat, because that, that's our government's duty to protect us. And that's their perspective. And they're probably right. There is some sort of threat to not knowing. Make sense? Do you oh, think yeah. they yeah. know that we are studying them? Oh, 100%. There's no doubt. They're, they're aware of the people and the engagements at a high level. I can give you direct examples, but UFOs typically have a, a kind of target, right? So you, 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 so the Tic Tac UFO, the Commander Favor engaged, not only was it doing something out there, it like it had a job to do. Commander Favor just probably stop the stop the ufo and its traction doing its job it's like i have to report to my overlords will you stop messing with me i mean it was like funny it was doing something out there regardless of commander fravor commander fravor comes out there and the word he said to me gives me goosebumps to this day the word he said to me is it noticed me and when it noticed commander fravor's fighter plane coming up above and dropping down at an aggressive angle the UFO, almost as if in curiosity, nose towards him, mirrored him perfectly in some sort of ballet, and then, boom, shot off faster than the eye could, could see. So, so UFOs are very aware that we are aware of them, whoever they are. Do we know what they look like? like the his, beings that operate yes, them? yes. Right. So it's like it's not a simple answer. Like some of these are, appear to be drones, like, you know, AI operated some mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, but other ones certainly appear to to be piloted. And, okay. and, and you get that from the from the way they're designed, uh, if you believe these accounts, but but also just by the hundreds of thousands of witness testimony that have had close encounters. People are usually allergic to telling me that part. They're like, well, I was in the military and I, I saw this UFO and I'm like, what else? Mm -hmm. What else? And they're like, okay, okay. So something else happened. I'm like, I know. And they're like, you know, usually there's something else and people don't like talking about it. Now, the classic traditional like quote unquote alien that people talk about is the, the gray alien, which really looks like it's a future version of us with like, you know, big eyes and little tiny ears and nose and barely any mandible. But I, I don't know. It's, it's so varied. If, if you get to you kind of walk in my shoes for, for a couple months, you'll see that these reports, they come in. It's every kind of creature you can imagine. I mean, it's like people are embarrassed to say sometimes because it's so outlandish what they encountered. These are people that don't want to go public. They just want me to know. Uh, so it's all types of like beings and creatures, but the most common one that would operate the UAP pilot, as they say, if it's a being and not an artificial intelligence uh, would be the, the the grays, but some people say that they are, you know, cybernetic organisms that are half 
uh, biology and half computer that were basically fabricated using biological cells through artificial printing. That would be cool. Oh, that's interesting. My conspiracy theory is always that the yeah. typical issue, the image of the gray that we've been kind of shown over pop culture and time has been dropped in by the government into our zeitgeist. So when the inevitable does happen and we are finally presented with, yes, these are these creatures, they have been visiting us, is that their appearance won't completely fucking blow our minds because we're already kind of used to seeing them in pop culture already is what they look like. That's my own personal. What if they look like us and they're just here and we don't know? Yeah. So That's two funny. things about that is, is sometimes, you know, what I say is like, you know, who, who's in those crap? Well, they're people. I said this on, on Fox News. I'm like, it, the reports say that they're people. I mean, they're, they don't look exactly like us, but they're bipedal and whatever. And they're, they're people. Two things that I think are of interest about this. Have you ever heard, read uh, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke? No, I have not. It's a great book about about encounter, right? And what happens is these craft they they circle the globe and they surround it, but they hover there for decades just to acclimate people to the idea of their existence. They do it through generations, right? Mm -hmm. It's like cosmic time. Well, they had a specific problem, which was they looked like the archetypical uh, devil. They looked like a devil. They were red, like the tails and the horns. So they had a problem to begin with, with, you know, acclimating to our society. But it's a cool book because it shows you this kind of slow way in which that process might occur. Sure. Uh, the, The other aspect to it is this. Uh, there seems to be an acclimation process. I mean, there's an increased frequency and because of our technology, I think documenting of the UFO thing, it's not just some guy in a field anymore. Now we got like FLIR targeting pod videos, right? So the other theory or idea here is that as our technology grows and we're kind of guided through that, that's as the contact continues to increase to the point where we'll, we will understand it. Think about the, the movie Arrival, you know, those beings that looked kind of like um, squid, right? If you remember that, was it a movie called Arrival? I think it was a beautiful movie called Arrival. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're talking about yeah. Arrival. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and, yeah. and they, they spoke with like, a, I think maybe some four dimensional kind of language. So can we, uh, we barely understand one another on Twitter. How are we going to understand what in a, a advanced alien species says to us? It's like, Talk, me talking to ants like i i don't understand them they don't understand me but maybe maybe as our technology advances we'll begin to kind of understand what ufos represent and what these beings might be like if there are beings but just as a mind twist at the end here what if the ufo phenomenon is a performance and we're being shown like a movie something people want us to see and believe but the real truth is behind that curtain, like the Wizard of Oz. There's some sort of deeper reality that is perforated or penetrating towards us based upon the desire of the people behind the curtain. Let it be extraterrestrial, interdimensional, extratemporal, or techno-terrestrial. Don't know. But just saying, what if what we're seeing is simply um, a concoction that for us to be able to understand it? And a good example of that is there was this tribe that was given like um, really advanced ge- geometrical images that weren't found in nature and asked to draw them. And oftentimes they would just make circles because they were not uh, able to perceive in the same way the geometry because it wasn't part of their daily experience. Got it. What, what if that's happening to us 
on a much deeper longevity and, and collective level. I don't know. So maybe UFOs just represent what you're supposed to look at and reality is much deeper. So I want yeah. Leo to just hit it with this last question before we, we take off here, Leo. <laughs> Seeing as there's a big divide with our government officials and some of them might put their personal beliefs into play and call these things, these UAPs, for example, demonic. Uh, are you hopeful that we'll get Congress and the government to actually give us transparency? Yeah, I mean, they don't really own the right to give us anything. It is our right to tell them what to do. So we are in a representative democracy. So in that sense, I'm not weighing all my weight on Congress and Senate being honest with us. I, I do push for them to champion what the United States and the American people would like. So I am very optimistic because we are in control. That is what we do as a population uh, you know, within our government, we have the ability to pressure and push. It's not perfect. We don't get it right. We're oftentimes stymied by that stuff. But I am not relying on any individual or organization to give us the truth. I am just going to fight for the truth. You know? <sighs> You rock, dude. Great. Thank you yeah. so yeah. much for yes. being here with us today, man. Yeah. It is such an honor to talk to you, and we really hope we get a chance to do this again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have real, like 50 more pleasure. questions. We can do a round two, guys. We'll do a round two sometime. You, you stay in touch. Um, but I, I really appreciate Thank you for talking about, you know, the films. I'm, 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 I'm grateful for that because a lot of times I just talk about UFOs. Sure. And uh, Leo, I know you're the secret UFO guy there. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're like me. You're the, you're the crazy uncle yeah. that loves this stuff. Oh, man. He's, yeah, he's a molecular biologist. <laughs> yeah. He's a big, uh, big yeah. science dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk anytime, man. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, you, 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 you know, contact me anytime. It's been a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, man, the, the Boo Crew, baby. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 330. Special thanks to our guest, Jeremy Corbell. Follow him at Jeremy Corbell on Instagram and Twitter. For more on Jeremy, check out his website, extraordinarybeliefs.com, and watch some of his incredible documentary work, including Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers, available now on Tubi. Hunt for the Skinwalker, the Anonymous Interview, and many others. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trent for the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/podcasts.